Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Ryan McIntyre talks about the times, the many times, he has died. So I'm six months old. I'm about 20 pounds. I'm the size of a Boston Terrier. And I'm rushed to the emergency room. I have a prolapsed rectum. And for those of you that don't know, that too long didn't read, is it's when the inside tubing of your butt becomes the outside tubing of your butt. And it's not uncommon, but it can be somewhat dangerous for an infant. So I'm taken into surgery. And it's a routine surgery, and everything is going fine. And then the doctor slips and perforates and lacerates my intestine. I get flipped over. They cut me open from here to here. I still have the scar. I still have the scar because I'm still here. (laughs) I'm also in the future. And they slice me open, and at the end of the six-hour surgery, they've removed half of my large and small intestine. To this day, it still causes problem. I'll tell you right now, Taco Tuesday is not popular at my house. (laughs) And I also bleed out. Six units of O positive are hung. Now, an infant of my size has two units in their entire body. Six units pumped from the bag through a tube into my body, out of my intestines, onto a table, and onto the floor. And I die. I flatline. No cardiopulmonary, no brain activity, no respiratory activity. I am 20 pounds of milk-fed people veal. I am meat on a table. And that's number one. At the end of six hours, they patch everything up. They sew me back together, and I'm resuscitated. Now, I'm told that after two minutes of being brain dead, an infant of this age is not resuscitated without severe cognitive and neurological damage. I was resuscitated after six minutes, and I'm sent home. Now, my mom, being a normal human being, had stayed with me during the entire time. My father, however, had stayed home to watch a football game. And so my mom got home, filed for divorce, and raised me on her own, the single strongest woman that I've ever known. She raised me on my own, uh, on her own. She worked nights. She's a lab manager now. She runs the laboratories and hospitals. At the time, she was just a hematologist, a bench tech at SmithKline Beecham, and she would work nights so that we could move out of St. Louis County into the suburbs so that I could have a good education. She did everything that she could to make sure that I was provided for, which meant that she worked all night and slept all day, like you do. And I'm a part of the last generation that was allowed to play outside. I would go outside all day long without worrying about some helicopter tiger mom calling the police. And I was raised by neighborhood kids and by teenagers that were like five years older than I was and by my cousins. I'm from a really large family. And one summer, I was swimming in the deep end of the pool and I was being watched by my cousin and he was flirting with some girls. And I was in the deep end 
and I had these dive sticks, right? They're weighted sticks with a hole in them, and you throw them into the water, and they sink. And I was a scuba diver recovering lost treasure from a sunken ship. It was before the internet. This was the height of entertainment. And I dive down, and I stay down, and I, gra- I grab as many of these sticks as I can before I have to come up for air. And so I'm down there, and I've got a handful of sticks, and my, my like, lungs are screaming at me that I need air, so I kick up off the ground. And, and there's a rope that's tied to the side of the wall and anchored to the bottom. It's the rope that separates the different areas of the pool, but it's not being used right now. So it's chained to the bottom, and it's wrapped around my leg. And so I kick up, and I can't go anywhere. And so I'm messing with this rope, and I'm holding onto the sticks because that's important. <laughs> and my brain is saying, breathe, motherfucker. And I'm like, <laughs> and I lose all of my air. And, and I, I feel that, like, fuzzy, sharp, I know those are opposites, fuzzy, sharp feeling at the back of your skull when you breathe in water. And I, and I feel that cold, chlorinated air water hit the back of my throat, and I finally let go of the sticks, and I see them sink to the bottom of the pool as my vision tunnels to black. And that's number two. The next thing I know, I can feel the hot, pebbly concrete on my back from the side of the pool. I can feel the now warm chlorinated water spilling out of my mouth and my nose as my cousin is standing over me like wild eye. The girls are gone by now. Apparently, the dying nine-year-old scared them away. Uh, And he's pushing on my chest. and, And to be fair, we did decide that if my mom ever found out that she would kill him and then be really glad that I was okay and then kill me. So we kept it a secret. (laughs) And so here I am. I'm this teenager. I I mean, I I go through middle school and high school, and I know that I've survived death twice, and I've seen a lot of movies, and I've played a lot of video games, and I know you don't survive death twice to be normal. (laughs) And so I know what I want to do with my life. I want to be a professor, which is lame. And... (laughs) And I'm in theater, and I'm going to be the next Adler. I'm going to be the next Meisner. I'm going to revolutionize the way that we talk about politics with theater. And I go to school, and that's great. And I'm arrogant, and I'm stupid. And I know that I'm not going to get hurt, because I never get sick. I mean, I've been hurt a lot. I also have a boxer's fracture, and I've got a broken leg, and I've got all of these things. I never get sick, and so I make these stupid choices, and I do stuff that is going to get you arrested and is going to get you hurt, and you can just kind of imagine for yourself. And between my freshman and sophomore year, I go on a camping trip with some friends. We go out to Utah, and we drive to this town, and we park, and we rent ATVs, and we drive those until we can't, and we park, and we hike for like six hours through canyons and desert, and it's amazing. And we finally, we get to where we're going to make camp, and we're near some of the rock arches. You've seen those? Yeah, like in the Utah brochures, the big rock arches. Have you seen those? Yeah. And we want to climb those because we're rock climbers, so we make camp. And the next day, we start climbing, and my friend David is way up at the top. And the thing is, is that when we climb, we're boulderers. We don't use harnesses. We don't use ropes. We free climb. And my friend David is up at the top of this arch, and I'm on the face of a rock. So I'm not, I'm not on that outside edge, 
like a pussy. I'm on the, I'm on the front side, that flat side. And then my other friend is way off on a different formation. And I'm like 30 feet up and I'm resting. There's this technique you can use. You shove your, arm, your hand into a crack and you, you kind of spread your fingers across and you can rest, right? And so I've got all my weight on this one arm and I can let my legs rest and I can let this arm rest. And I'm planning out the rest of my route. I'm 30 feet in the air. And there's another discolored, darker rock about another 10 feet, so 40 feet in the air. And that's my goal, right? I'm going to tag that, and I'm going to climb back down. I'm like, well, there's a handhold, and there's a toehold. And so I get my legs up really high underneath me, and I get ready, and I shift my weight, and I move my hand, and it disintegrates. My legs are up underneath me way higher than they should have been. And the rock just gives way, and I, I fall out into space 30 feet in the air. And I, I reorientate my body, and I can see the ground coming up at me, and that's what's happening, right? I'm not falling. It doesn't feel like I'm falling. I just see the ground coming at me, like, slow-like, right? It's coming up at me slow, and I can think about how stupid this is. I've survived all of these things, and I'm going to die like this because there's just a bunch of pointy rocks underneath me, and this is ridiculous. This can't be how it ends, and all of the, like, awesome things that I've done that no one's going to hear about, and all of the stupid things that I've done that I hope no one hears about, and, like, and I distinctly remember thinking for the first time that the relationship I'm in with Suzanne probably isn't working, and I really want to be with Pamela anyway, and so I should end this, and I haven't because I'm too chicken- And now the ground's like five feet away. And I see this scrub brush. And I'm like, ah. But scrub brush is a fairly lattice work. And that's a good shock absorber. And there's also some cactus there. And that's full of like pulpy, moist inside fruit. And so I start swimming through the air to try. And I guess it works because I land on my left side. And everything goes white. And I start seeing red spots and black spots and blue spots. I'm seeing stars. And my vision clears up. And my buddy David is climbing down. Not as fast as I just came down. (laughs) But he's climbing down. And my whole side is full of spines and and rocks. And uh, it's turning black and blue and green. And my leg is getting stiff. And after about 20 minutes, we realize, because we've been checking, like feeling, and nothing's broken. Nothing's out of joint, but with the coloration and my fever, infection has started to set in, but I can't hike back, so we took a field knife, and we lanced it, and I didn't bleed, so we cut a line, and the blood was congealed. It was like that cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving. And so we use gauze and antiseptic, and we clean it, and my fever's getting worse, and my leg is stiff, and I can breathe, but I can't breathe real deep, but we can't do anything about it. And we just wait, and we watch me. And at, like, dark 30 in the morning, my fever breaks, and the blood starts to flow, and we spend the next couple of days finishing off our trip. I got home and I told the doctor what had happened and he ran some blood tests and what came back was that my body had finished flushing a toxin and it had a match. My body had finished flushing 
the toxin of the North American diamondback rattlesnake. I had fallen on a rattlesnake nest, and it was probably an adult because he bit me and left, and it was scared, and I should be dead. And this is number three. So realize, I'm 20-something, I've survived death three times, I'm an arrogant little shit, I have a wolverine healing factor, I go on to be bitten by brown recluses, black widows, stung by the big and the really little scorpions, I am a fucking immortal. And then, in my late 20s, I got sick. I got got strep. And I couldn't move for like two, three days. I couldn't eat. I drank water and it hurt. And I have the existential crisis that most nine-year-olds have when they realize I'm going to die. And I'm not the next Adler yet. I'm not the next Meisner. I haven't revolutionized anything. And, and, it, and this is my biggest injury, Right? Like, all of these things, and now it's my soul and my psyche that's hurt. And I've always recovered, but finally, I've met something that I can't recover from. And it takes me, like, a year, a really dark year, to recover. And what finally lets me recover is I realize I have... Phenomenal friends. Some of them are here tonight. I have this amazing woman in my life who would come, go on to become my wife. And folks, I married way up, <laughs> way out of my league. I have a, a, a vlog and a web show with fans and followers that want to meet us. And I'm not sitting, I'm not standing here trying to say, like, I'm awesome. But, like, these are the things that make me realize it's okay. These are the things that help me finally recover from this deep wound. And on top of all of that, I am, in fact, a professor. And I have my students, and I love them all. They drive me absolutely insane. They're lazy, and they're selfish, and they only think of themselves, and that's all true, but I love them. And I get to deal with them every day. And I get to see them get it. And I finally recover because I realize I don't need to wait for that day. And what I try to hold on to when things get dark, because things get dark, for everybody, even if it's just like Tuesday, things get dark. And what I hold on to and what I try to teach my students is don't lose sight of all of the greatness that you have accomplished in the person that you are today because the only thing that you're looking for is the person that you might become tomorrow. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, 
Visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. I'm Deb Markham, producer of the show. Our live host is Brendan Kennedy. Amber Nettles, Evan Hartley, and Scott Rose provide production assistance. And Jenny Zell serves as our podcast consultant. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.